0: Our first scripture reading for today comes from Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the day, the dry ground land and gathered waters, the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons, and days, and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky, to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky, to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And so it was so. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of John, in chapter one, verses one through five. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, But the darkness has not understood it.
1: Creation, earth, the environment, ecology, global warming, carbon footprint, greenhouse gases, climate change, caring for creation and destroying creation. This issue, this topic is absolutely everywhere today. You cannot miss it. And for many people, this is the most important issue in the world. I, I regularly hear in the news that this is a bigger crisis than even the pandemic of the last few years. When I was a kid, environmental concern was huge in our, in our grade school. I remember this. Uh, we were told we are putting a hole in the ozone layer by how we're living. There are all these greenhouse gases, and we absolutely had to recycle no matter what. And as an adult a few years back, I, I taught a fourth and fifth grade church class and I asked them, what's wrong with this world? And every kid said pollution and littering. And I was like, wow, not like murder or bullying, like no, pollution. I thought, all right, this is a topic that's really being talked about in schools. Um, I remember years back, former president, uh, vice president Al Gore, his big claim to fame since being vice president, he produced this documentary called An Inconvenient Truth. It was a documentary on climate change and ecological disaster. It, It won documentary of the year, and then there's been this big political fight over over it, right? Uh, In 2016, there was the Paris Agreement, which was a treaty agreed to by 196 nations, uh, where they committed to reducing carbon emissions and greenhouse gases to slow climate change. America agreed to this agreement and then pulled out, and there was all this political wrangling and discussion of, how this impacts jobs and the economy and national sovereignty and all of those things. And complicated stuff, and nations are complex things and and beyond, you know, my understanding. Uh, Just a few years back, a hundred members of Congress sponsored something called the Green New Deal, uh, which was this vision to overhaul American policy and really overhaul a lot of how the country operates, and jobs and businesses, and this was going to be a thing as big as FDR's New Deal. And it was all for the purpose of making a more sustainable environment and stopping global warming. Again, lots of political backlash and back and forth. If you see the news at all, you've heard of Greta Thunberg, if I'm producing her last name, as a Swedish teenager who became a famous advocate for global climate action. She was named Time Person of the Year in 2019. She's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize three times. She was on Forbes list of the 100 most powerful women in the world, And she's 18 now, so she was 16, 15 when all this was happening. As a a side note, the disappearing Earth was also named Time Person of the Year in 1988. Uh, This is everywhere. I watch uh, sitcoms, NBC sitcoms, and every year they do like this green week. And all the primetime shows have obviously been told to incorporate environmental awareness stuff. Uh, Each year I'm exposed to characters such as Recyclops from The Office. and uh, There's a nice picture of him, and he goes insane a couple years in and tries to destroy everyone. Uh, The TV show 30 Rock had a character called Greenzo, and these were to tell us about the environment. Uh, On a a more local level, in the areas where we live, plastic straws bans have been imposed recently. All of a sudden you get a paper straw at a restaurant. The food town in Red Bank, you know, where, where we work and where our church gathers. Uh, recently, big signs, we no longer use plastic bags. You can bring your own bags or you can buy reusable bags. Um, this is a, a bit of a, a side rant, but uh, I was frustrated with that <laughs> because everything I bought, when I, I can't use plastic bags, but every single thing I bought was wrapped in plastic that the store sold. And I was like, how does this line up? Anyway, um, end of End of rant there. In fact, uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, I had to stop uh, on food on the way. It's the first time I've remembered to bring my bags uh, in like a couple months because because I was working on this and remembered that. But I remember just thinking, like, hey, you know, Kellogg's, Tyson, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, are they all allowed to make plastic products and we just can't use plastic bags? Is that going to save the world? Is that going to fix everything? Anyway, end rant. Anyway. Just this week, while I was looking on the, working on this sermon, I wasn't looking for these things. They were just in the news cycle. Uh, President Biden gave a speech saying that extreme weather brought about climate cha- brought about by climate change costs us costs America ninety nine billion dollars a year. Uh, another article I saw this week is that three global Christian denominations recently came together with a joint statement for the protection of creation, and these are a Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican leaders. They represent 1.3 billion Catholics, 80 million Anglicans, and over 5 million Eastern Orthodox Christians. And they made a joint statement about saving the climate and uh, caring for creation. This is a big deal. Um, I also came across a document from the National Association of Evangelicals, which is a, a larger Christian evangelical group that many of us probably have more in common with uh, than like, the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, if you're from the Eastern Orthodox Church and you're listening, welcome. We're glad that you're here, but more of us have. Uh, more of us probably have an evangelical background. Uh, they made this document on civil engagement and responsibility as, as in society, and one of their key issues is creation care. And finally, just this week, a uh, uh, scholar uh, Tish uh, Harrison Warren started writing for, writing for the New York Times and also for Christianity Today. She published an article in late August entitled uh, Why the Destruction of Creation is Bad for Worship. And we're actually going to touch on that next week. Uh, So this is everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, As I'm recording this, Pastor Steve is helping, and unbeknownst to him and what the sermon was going to be about, he's wearing a shirt that says... What's your shirt say? Save the planet? Save Save our planet. It's the only one that has beer.
0: It's the only one that has
1: beer. Steve's wearing a (laughs) yingling shirt right now that's advocating for saving the world, so there's... So the beard continues. <laughs> he can cut that part if he wants, or he can leave it in. It's, it's going to be up to him. So how should followers of Jesus Christ think about all, the, all this earth stuff? Well, We talked last week about how we have to know the big story, and that, that God made us to be part of his mission in the world. And this fall, we're looking at how Christ followers are to participate in the mission of God. So what does all this creation stuff, all this environmental stuff, have to do with the mission of God, and what is our role in this? When our children ask us about recycling, or greenhouse gases, or global warming, what do we as Jesus followers have to say? When our neighbors wonder, perhaps, what a Christian thinks about this stuff, or, you know, what do we think about this earth, what do we say? When we hear on the news of global warming, fossil fuels, you know, climates being in danger, what's... What's the Jesus-following response to all of this? What do we have to say? How do we act? What does it look like to have a mind like Christ about this issue? Um, What's a Jesus-way perspective on this? How are we called? If you're a follower of Jesus, how are are you called to live in a relationship with creation? Does does it matter? Well, we're going to tackle some of this today and next week. God's mission. Includes a plan for His creation, so all this stuff we see in the news about the earth—it it, it actually matters to God. God has a purpose for the creation He made, and this uh, can be a, this should be an important issue for Christians. Uh, it should be because first, it's it's important to God, and if it's important to God and God's mission, then it should be important to Jesus' followers as well. If part of God's mission includes creation, then part of our mission includes creation as well. And if you aren't a Christian, then okay, this might not be your mission yet, but I want you to know that if you decide to follow Jesus, you too will be called to be part of God's mission in the world. And and that'll include how you interact with the creation that God's given us. And the second reason is we have something really good to contribute to the rest of the world on this matter. We can be a light and a witness. And if God made this creation, if he made the earth, the trees, the seas, and he has a plan for it, And if he's revealed that plan to his followers in the scriptures, then Jesus' followers should have something good to say. And we should have a good way to live regarding how we interact with with God's creation. And we could actually live in a way that could help others and be a light to others and point others to God. So this week and next week, we're going to look at what the scriptures that we trust have to say about God's creation. This week, the focus is going to be on a few key beliefs about God and his mission and design for creation. And next week will be on the mission that God has given us, given Jesus' followers, regarding creation. So this week, God and creation, what we need to know. And then next week, a God-given mission for his people. Now, before we dive in, I know this might be hard, but do your best to let go of modern politics, modern economics, modern polarizing stories and narratives in the media And I understand there's business concern with environmental stuff and political battles and there are big global climate concerns. Lay them aside for a moment today while while we look at the scriptures. Because before we are uh, American, before we're businessmen and businesswomen, before uh, before we have our political views, we're followers of Jesus Christ. And and as that, we believe that God's word, God's ways are revealed uh, in, in these sacred texts that we know as the Bible. So when we're trying to figure out how to live in this world, we go to these texts first and read them and pray together and talk together as the church. And then we say, okay, what does this mean for Jesus followers in 2021 in Red Bank and in Monmouth County? So as we go to these texts, try to go to them with fresh eyes, enter into the world of the Bible to see what it has to say. Instead of making it say what we want or instead of filtering out the stuff that we don't care about, right? Uh, Let it read us and challenge us on this issue. Uh, we don't want to go to the Bible and say, I wanted to say this because I already have this political view. Or, I already have this opinion. We want to let the text speak to us. We want to uh, let God speak to us through these scriptures and not go to them and try to make them say what we want them to say. Okay, so we're going to walk through the scriptures this morning and I'm going to lift out what I believe are things we need to see about God's creation. And then building on this week, next week we'll learn about what God requires of, of humans in this issue, particularly Is followers. All right, so God and creation. Let's dive in, and we'll start at the beginning, page one of the whole Bible, and we we read a longer part of this for our scripture reading, um, but it's about how God creates. So I'm going to highlight a few verses. Verse four says, God saw the light was good, and God separated light from darkness. Verse 10 says, God called the dry land earth and the waters that to gather together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Verse 12 says, The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with seed in it, and God saw that it was good. Verse 18 says, talking about the light, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. Verse 21, it said God created the sea monsters and every living creature that moves and every kind which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind and God saw that it was good. Verse 25, it says God made wild animals of the earth of every kind and cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind and God saw that it was good. Good. Verse 31 says, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Good, 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 very good. Seven times in Genesis 1, then another handful of times in Genesis 2 and 3. The creation is good. It's affirmed as good. Good. If you need more than Genesis one to know that or trust that, then read the whole book of Psalms. It shows up all the time. This word gospel it means good news, and the gospel does not begin with the human birth of Jesus. It begins with the good of creation. Now you might say, "Hold on, preacher, the gospel is about Jesus," and yes, it is. And Guess what? Jesus is there in the beginning. The beginning of the good news of Jesus is also the good news of the beginning of creation. In the New Testament, the Gospel of John says this. And Verse 1 of the Gospel of John tells a creation story. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The gospel, the good news, is all about Jesus. And it starts with the good news that Jesus brought forth good creation. Jesus is the word that speaks creation into being, that formless void, that darkness hovering over the waters. The word speaks, and there is light. A light shines in the darkness our Lord and Savior Jesus, who we love so much because he dies for our sins. Right? The beginning of all that good news of Jesus is his work in bringing forth a good creation out of the formless void and chaos we see in Genesis 1. It's the most fundamentally important thing to get. What God makes is good. Good, 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 good. Including you. Including all of creation. Now this good creation, it points to the glory and goodness of God. I want to read for you two texts, here. The first is Psalm 19 verses one to four, and there's a lot of others in Psalms, but hear this: "The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words where their their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. The other text I'm going to read is Romans 1, verses 18 to 21. And this is interesting because it's talking about kind of the the wrath of God that's coming upon humanity and and the anger of God against ungodliness and wickedness. But, But I want you to see something here, so listen up. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, has been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse. It's been seen through the things he has made, what he has created. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's what Psalm 19 and other psalms say. This good creation points us to the creator. And Paul in Romans is holding humanity accountable for their sin based on the conviction that we should know and be thankful for and glorify God based on just our eyes looking at the world he created. Other passages will talk about the trees clapping their hands, the rocks and the trees crying out. And in our modern age, we say, oh, that's cute symbolism that that everything should glorify God, but that's not how rocks work. Maybe God made them and maybe they can cry out. If you follow and read the fiction of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, um, maybe they have the right idea when they have trees talking and (laughs) moving and Balaam's donkey talks in the scriptures, the serpent talks, the whale that's sent to swallow Jonah is kind of moved by God. All kinds of animal hybrids show up in Daniel and Revelation. Jesus talks about God clothing the lilies of the field and feeding the birds, and not a sparrow falls without the Father knowing. All creation is pointing to him and glorifying him. So this creation was made to be good, to point us to God and glorify God. But we look around and see there's not good. There's a lot of not good. There is bad. There is curse. There is hurt. Creation is hurt. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, there's this famous serpent, right? Where he convinces Eve, one of the human image bearers and creations, to disobey the word of God. And Eve, the image bearer, gives some to Adam, the other image bearer. And he chooses to disobey the Word of God. And God shows up and says, What have you done? And everyone blames everyone, right? And they they realize they're naked and they're ashamed and they go and they hide themselves. And something has changed. There is damage, there is pain, there is curse. Now listen to how this curse and damage plays out. This is Genesis 3:14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree, about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And verse 18. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, often as Christians, we go to Genesis 3 and we say, See, there's the fall of man. Sin enters the world. We're all sinners, and now we need salvation from this sin. All true. But there's more than that going on. There's damage, hurt, curse that permeates all of the created order. The song Joy of the World, it gets this so well. We should sing this song year-round because it gets so many things right about, I think, Christian theology. Uh, And it hits on stuff that other songs miss. But verse 3 goes, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found, right? Isaac Watts, the author, he nails this. He's hitting on what's happening in Genesis and and how Jesus can reverse the curse. But notice, the ground is cursed. All of creation has this permeating curse and brokenness. The animal is cursed, right? All the animals are then, good, 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 good. Now some curse upon that animal, the serpent is this animal with curse. And there's this curse between animal and woman and man, right? There's this enmity, right, between the offspring of the man and the snake. The human purpose, right, be fruitful, multiply. And the woman's the great symbol of all of that, right? God creates. He calls uh, Adam and Eve to, be, to procreate, to be fruitful, to multiply, to be on this mission with God. And uh, human, man, and woman called to create, to bring forth new life. And and the woman taking the role there of actually bringing forth new creations into the world. And that's supposed to be goodness. Instead, there's pain. This birthing, uh, this process now comes with hurt, pain, and curse. The call to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, right? This is agriculture. This is care for the the world. Grow crops. And uh, this role is given to Adam in this scene. We'll look at that more next week. But uh, now there's thorns. There's thistles. There's dust. The ground isn't... Fruitful and multiplying, it's it's given over to decay. The man will have a hard time working with the earth. This was supposed to be all good, and now there's pain, hurt, curse in the creation. All of this creation is hurt. God and man, man and woman, woman and man, woman and animal, man and ground, woman and bringing forth new life. Fruitful and multiplying is still the charge, but now it's filled with pain and suffering. Ruling and caring and ordering is still the mission. But now there's going to be conflict and deceit and damage and hurt and curse. In the next chapter, Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. And in verse 8 it says this, Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen to what happens next. Listen. Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you've driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Cain commits murder, and the punishment. Is the ground not working? And he believes that's too great a punishment. We look at this story and say, Oh, the first horrible murder. Yes, yes, yes. But there's four characters in this story. God, Cain, Abel, and the ground. We see the ground acting in the story. Blood cries out from the ground. The ground has opened its mouth up to receive the blood of the innocent Abel. And Cain can't bear the punishment. And the punishment is that the soil and Cain can't get along see this. There's a curse and anger and enmity between the ground and man. The ground is crying out because it's swallowing up the blood of human evil. Man, Humanity's hurting the ground and the ground's crying out. Am I being a bit extreme? Stay with me. The earth has rights that a just God protects. Later in the story of God's people, God commands the people of Israel when they enter the promised land to keep the Sabbath. And that means one day a week, no work for humans. All of them. It's a big day, holy to the Lord, and it's right there in Genesis 1 and 2. God rests on the Sabbath, so his people do too. And God says also, you were slaves in Egypt, you're not slaves anymore, so you remember my rest, and you rest too. Now he also says this, and you can look this up in Leviticus The land gets a Sabbath. He also says the land gets a Sabbath. Every seven years, the land gets a Sabbath. And one of the reasons Israel gets cast into exile, and there's a lot of reasons, worshiping other gods, oppressing the poor, sexual idolatry, even child sacrifice, but one of the reasons they do not live in the land and get kicked out is because they don't give the Sabbath rest that God demands. Sabbath is in the top 10, and the prophets say, Jeremiah especially, you'll return to the land after it's had its rest. And you lived there for a couple hundred years. You never gave rest to the land that God demanded you do. God's justice demands the land gets the rest he promised. And then he makes his people stay in Israel until that's completed. Uh, This is in uh, Leviticus 25 verses 2 to 4 and 26, 33 to 35. And you can also see this punishment in Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. Jeremiah 29 is this big Bible verse that we love quoting, right? It's, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your good and not to harm you, a future filled with hope. Yes, it's a great verse. It's for people after 70 years of exile for messing with God's land. And when those years are completed, when the land gets its rest, then the people can return. God defends the widow, the orphan, the oppressed, the enslaved, the mistreated. And he defends the ground when it cries out. And he defends his creation when it's wounded. And when his people don't care for his land. God is going to give his creation, the land, the earth, justice. In fact, the land itself is crying out for freedom. In Romans 8, this is this great chapter in the middle of the great letter of Romans, right? It's talking about how followers of Jesus are suffering and waiting for the power of God, trusting in the love of Christ, and being led by the Spirit... And in the middle of that, human relationship with God is creation. In the middle of all that, we hear the earth is longing for freedom. Listen to Romans 8, 18 to 20 something. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to reveal to us. Awesome. 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Romans, this massive, powerful work that's been so influential in Christian history. We build so much theology on about what what Paul says about God and man in Romans. Romans eight's right in the middle, the culmination of the first half of the book, which is all about how God saves and redeems and makes righteous. And in chapter 8, Jesus' followers are suffering, yearning, waiting, yearning, praying. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Um, where Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We're waiting for our redemption. And oh yeah, by the way, creation's waiting to be set free from the bondage to decay as well. Creation's not fruitful right now, but futile. Creation's stuck in bondage and decay. Creation is groaning in labor pains, right? This labor, this stuff we've heard in Genesis, right? First fruits. Where do we hear about this stuff? Genesis 1 to 3, be fruitful, multiply. Pain, you're going to bring forth children. The creation is depicted as as a woman in labor, longing for new creation to break forth, longing to not be barren, longing by the power of the Spirit, right? That Spirit that hovers over the water and brings creation, that Spirit that overshadows Mary and brings Christ into the world. You know, you have this... Creation, longing for new creation, longing for redemption. This is going to have to wait for next week. But notice that creation isn't waiting for God to be revealed. It isn't waiting for Jesus to come and save it. And we're going to get to that in a second. It's waiting for the children of God to be revealed. It's going to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's fascinating. How do we understand that? Perhaps creation's freedom is tied to our freedom. Perhaps when we're fully healed is when creation's fully healed. When we get our act together, is perhaps then creation will be rebirthed and healed. Because maybe the pain of creation is due to human failure. And when humans live faithfully, when we become full image bearers again, and where we're living, when we're living to our full glory, then creation can be set free and renewed. Creation's waiting for the glory of the children of God. Because who's in charge of the earth? Now, we might say, of course, it's God. Now, yes, that's true in one sense, but not necessarily. I think Paul's noting that creation's man's responsibility. God gave man and woman dominion over it. God might be like the businessman who's gone away, and he said, I'm putting you in charge of my accounts. Jesus told a story like this, right? You might come back and hold us accountable too, right? But God gave that authority to humankind. So maybe when we get our act together, creation finds healing. But put a pin in that. We'll talk about that next week. We'll come back to this passage. Now listen. Because we fail, we, we fail the creation. And we're guilty of mistreating creation. Now is there a human who can heal creation? Is there someone who can do something about this? Now listen to what Paul says in uh, the letter to the Colossians. And get this point. The cross of Jesus Christ reconciles creation. It says this in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself, Jesus, is before all things. In him... All things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Did Jesus die to win only humans back to him? Did Jesus die to grab humans from the wicked creation and take them to heaven? Is that the only purpose of the cross? It's not. He does die on the cross to save from sin and reconcile us. He dies to make peace between man and God and to reconcile us. So that we can live out the mission of ruling over creation with him. He did not die on the cross solely to win humans back to him not according to Colossians 1, that's part of it. But the bigger hole includes Jesus Christ dying on the cross to reconcile all the things, heaven, dominions, powers, the invisible stuff, the earth. Jesus Christ died to reconcile everything far as the curse is found. The blood of Jesus Christ on the cross was shed to reconcile all creation to him, the ground, the dirt, the leaves, the trees, to make it all good, 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 very good again. Come to the end of the Bible. Revelation 21:22 shows us the ultimate goal. We won't read it today. Maybe we'll get to it next week. But it's a total renewal of heaven and earth where God dwells with us. And Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, makes all things new. Like our body will one day be transformed. And right now we have the first fruits of the Spirit, but will one day experience full Transformation. Likewise, I believe all creation is reconciled in Christ on the cross. But one day, that creation will find its full renewal and transformation that it's longing for and waiting for. So, let's try to put this all together. And I know this is a two-parter, but if all or most of this is true, and I can get things wrong, but I think this is a fair explanation of these texts. And you might have some issues with one thing or another, fine, but if this is a fair account of, of the creation and relationship to God and God's mission for creation, then as Jesus followers, what do we do? What's our mission? And we'll get into that next week, uh, but go ahead and look this week at Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28, and also look at Genesis 2.15, because you'll see a pretty clear mission given to humans, to fill the earth, to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the earth, which means to cultivate it, to garden well, to rule, to serve, to keep, preserve. We'll get to that next week, but Uh, You'll see some clear mission from God stuff towards this creation. We're going to tackle all that next week. Now, again, forget all the politics for a moment. Forget all the economy stuff. And you can say, yeah, but this or that, or I don't trust that person, or this sounds too environmentally with this political agenda, and this way or that way, or the media says this and that. Forget all of that. Do not make your Jesus-following decisions based on all of that. And I don't read a ton of environmental stuff, or read most of the articles I see in the news about climate change and the Paris Agreement and all of that stuff, right? I read one guy who's super big into conservation of land. He's a guy well into his 80s. He's a a mule farmer named Wendell Berry, and that's it. And I didn't base this message on any Wendell Berry books, right? I based this message on some stuff that seems pretty clear in the Bible. It's what I trust as sacred scripture given to the church to show us how to follow Jesus, To show us how to live with mission and purpose. To live out our destiny. To join God in his mission. So some questions. Did God the Father give us a beautiful creation that points to his glory? Did he give it to us as a gift and invite us to rule it? Yes, he did. Is part of the reason that his precious... Is part of the reason that his precious beloved people, that he delivered from slavery, It's part of the reason that they find themselves back in slavery and in exile... Because they refused to give the land the just rest that it deserved. Or to put it simply, did God get mad at his people for mistreating the land in the Old Testament? Yes, he did. Is this creation hurting in decay and futility, groaning with labor pains for healing and freedom? According to Paul, yes. Is there a curse, a hurt? A pain in this creation caused by human disobedience. According to Genesis, according to Moses, yes. Did Jesus Christ go to the cross in order to reconcile all things, including this creation? Yes. Are we given a clear charge to care for and rule this creation? We'll see this next week, but the answer is yes. What do you think God will say to us, the church? if we reject and hurt the gift he has given us? Sure, there's people who don't know Jesus that end up hurting creation and and, and mistreating the creation, but they don't know any better. We have the scriptures, right? What do you think he'll say to us? What do you think God will say to us if we reject his command to be fruitful, to cultivate, to preserve, to care for the creation he's given us? What do you think he'll say to us if we reject a mission he gives us? What do you think God, How do you think God will respond to us if we harm something that the blood of Christ paid to reconcile back to him? This is not an attack on you. I'm looking at the Bible and I'm raising the questions that I'm seeing. And I'm as guilty as anyone on all of this. But let's figure out what God wants us to do. And let's do it. Would you pray with me? Lord, um, help us understand uh, how to follow you, help us understand our mission. Uh, We see in the scriptures that you created this world, that one day you're going to transform it into a new creation. We see in your scriptures that there's all this hurt and pain and curse. We see in the scriptures that you care about your creation, that it's meant to point others to you and to bring you glory. We see in the scriptures that uh, we have been given a charge and a task. And Lord, we have so much around us in this world saying so many things about the world and so many different opinions and beliefs, and help us cut through that. Lord, by your power of your spirit, convict us, show us. What's our responsibility? As followers of you, what does does the truth that you reconcile all things to you on the cross mean for us? What does this charge to, to fill the earth, subdue it, to rule and care mean for us in this time, in this place? Lord, help us, guide us, help us faithfully obey your commands and joyfully live out your mission. We rejoice and thank you that you reconciled all things. We rejoice that... Um, we can be new creations in Christ and that your Holy Spirit can live in us and move in us and guide our body of of, of believers here as the church. So move in us and show us how we're called to live and act in this creation that you have put us. Show us how we're called to treat the land, how we're called to care for this good earth, how we're called to, to lead this earth into glory and praise of you and your creation guide us, convict us, give us wisdom and direction in the days ahead, and how to respond and live out your mission as it, as it relates to, to your good creation. It's in your name we pray.